The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Mark Amtower of Amtower and Company, which is entirely responsible for its content. This is Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Every week, author, speaker, consultant Mark Amtower gives you his take on what's going on in the world of federal marketing. Now, your host, Mark Amtower. Welcome to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Uh, I'm here today with Larry Allen, and this is show two of big issues for small contractors. Uh, last week we did, uh, uh, I did an interview with Scott Denniston, formerly Ostabu at, uh, at the Veterans Administration, now head of the National Veterans Small Business Coalition. Larry and I are going to go over kind of broader issues facing the small business community. Larry, thanks for coming in, man. Mark, always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Uh, always a pleasure to have you here. So big issues for small business. Um, you know, let, let me just start the same story I told Scott last week. So um, get a call from a guy down in San Antonio, a service disabled vet. He is just starting a shop. He's He's got several NAICS codes chosen, but he doesn't have necessarily skill areas behind those particular NAICS codes. So one of his first questions was, "What what should I sell?" And, <laughs> um, and and you know, I said, "Wrong question first. So let me aim you at some resources where you can do a little bit of research." So I aimed him at the uh, uh, PTAC down in San Antonio Procurement Technical uh, Assistance Center. Right. Yep. Yeah. I uh, I introduced him to Anthony Ruiz of the SBA because uh, I've known Anthony a long time and yep. he, he actually cares. Um, and I told him to start attending the AFCA Alamo chapter and that there was a, uh, the National Veteran Small Business Coalition, oddly enough, this uh, coming spring is hosting their annual conference in San Antonio. And I told him, you know, you've got to find these venues to network and start meeting people. And, and then, you know, figure out if the NAICS codes you have are uh, applicable. Well, you're off on the right foot, Mark. Certainly there are plenty of free resources available if you are just getting started in the government market. Uh, the Procurement Technical Assistance Center is usually located in one of the state universities uh, in or around uh, town. Going to events, uh, establishing relationships with key government people, these are all kind of the foundational things any small business or really any large business would need to do to get themselves established. And it also speaks to one of the things that we talk about here. You're talking to the gentleman. He says, what do I want to sell? Well, it's not that easy. You have to have some experience. You have to have some bona fides. You have to have some uh, relationships and sources of supply if you're going to be able to do business. But the good news is that there are lots of places where you can find free resources. You named a couple, and I always send uh, people in my classes to places like the Federal News Network. It's a free source of the who, what, when, where, and why, what's going on. There are also other trade media publications that we both know about, and they're free. Did I mention they are free? All they cost you, Mark, is your time to go and look. And they're a great way for any new market entry to find out what's going on in the market, what are the tension points, who some of the big players are, and where the money is. 
Yeah, and if you're you know if you're focused on IT, you have Federal Computer Week and Government Computer News. Uh, GovExec also covers that pretty well, as does Federal Times. But uh, GovExec and Federal Times also cover management issues and a lot of other issues impacting federal agencies uh, where contractors get their their G two right. So. That's right. You got to know the market. It's not just necessarily what it is you're trying to sell or what people want to buy. It's also the pressure points that go into making this marketplace up in a people-to-people environment. Right. And, you know, after you do some research, then I would suggest to them to go to the Ostabu office. Right. And every agency has an office of small and disadvantaged business utilization uh, some of them can be very good, uh, and they're good basic sources of information, even at a minimal level. Others will find ways to leverage your opportunities inside the agency that they work in. But in order to do that, you have to be able to present your case that you're together, you're an established business, uh, you maybe had a little success under your belt. But it's also important, Mark, to keep in mind it's a big government out there. And in any large organization, you would expect some variability, and you're going to definitely get that in the small business, small disadvantaged business offices. Some are very good, many are okay, and some are just downright non-responsive. Well, yeah, I'm, but it, it, it kind of depends on how one presents oneself during that initial meeting with the Ostabu. So you're, you're right on target when you suggest you really have to know. But more importantly than knowing what you do is knowing where it fits for right. that particular agency. So, uh, you know, selling uh, uh, agricultural enhancement tools to the Department of Energy may be the wrong tack. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, the the agency websites can provide a very significant amount of information. So the big job on on uh, even before market entry is market research. Right. And one of the other free resources that's available on agency websites are their procurement forecasts. And some of them are very updated. The ones that I've looked at in the last couple of weeks are very updated indeed. So good for those agencies like Department of Labor and USDA. I'll call them out as having updated procurement forecasts. Uh, they're telling you what's going on in that agency, particularly with an idea on what might be set aside for small businesses. And again, uh, fairly easy to find, Mark. If I can find them, probably just about anybody can. And there are good ways to do your research that don't cost you anything other than your time. Yeah, and and a lot of things that you and I take for granted, uh, most people don't even know about. That's right. So, you know, FPDS... Uh, USA spending, uh, you know, kind of tip of the icebergs. But, you know, your NAICS codes are fine. But, you know, what's your product service category? Where where do you really fit in the market? So, um, so what else do they need? Well, I think uh, you need to look at being a full part of your market. If you're making decision, Mark, to be a federal contractor, you need to come in with both feet in this market. You're going to be competing against other businesses of all sizes that have both feet in the market, at least the successful ones do. So this is not a marketplace in the federal arena where you can just uh, dip your big toe in the water. You need to 
belong to associations. You need to participate in meetings and conferences. You mentioned the FCA chapter, and that's one that you and I both recommend to people who are asking us about where they should go. Uh, you need to understand how agencies buy things. I talked to a bunch of people in the Department of Interior this past week. They are, for IT, a big NASA soup buyer. So if you know that you want to sell IT to the Department of Interior, you either want to be a NASA soup contractor or partner with someone who is. Yeah, It's that type of knowledge that you need in order to get yourself going. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I actually mentioned the AFCA chapter off air, so let's go there right now. There are associations that serve this market, and, and they're parsed down. There's several for, for the uh, small business community. There's the Hub Zone Chamber. There is the uh, National 8A Association, which actually covers more than just 8A. They, they cover, I think, pretty much all of the set-asides. Uh, there's a small uh, – uh, the National Veterans Small Business Coalition. There is AFCA. There's the bigger associations like AFCA, PSEIAC. NDIA, uh, ACT-IAC, which is a great one, again, if you're in the technology market. Uh, even I would recommend watching, paying attention to some of the National Contract Management Association meetings. Sometimes you're going to find some real nuggets in there, and you may be able to do some networking with the people who actually – do the buying at the line level. Right. They're they're the ones that approve the contracts and say no to others. So, right. Um, but, you know, and, and not just uh, finding the right association, but these are venues that should be your number one networking venues to find your, your teaming partners or your prime relationship. That's exactly right. And, and your marketing with – uh, other uh, federal contractors as well, not just federal agencies. And what I find is that an awful lot of newer market entries come in and they want to go meet the CIO for HHS. Well, <clears throat> sorry, that person probably doesn't want to and doesn't really have the time to meet with you. And really, Mark, you can get pretty far and even further if you are networking with other businesses that you can team up with. Uh, maybe as a prime sub relationship or some other type of agreement that you have as a channel partner. Half of your business development in the federal market, if you're a small business, at least is going to be done developing a network of other contractors that you can do business with, with the end customer being a federal government agency. And then, of course, a number of these organizations, particularly uh, that we've been talking about frequently have government speakers. FCA, for example, typically has panels of three speakers or more for their breakfast events. And it's good to be able to hear what those people are saying. And particularly if you can move fast enough up to the podium at the end, uh, shake a hand, exchange a business card, and develop those federal relationships. Yeah. And uh, we're going to take our first break, but when we come back, we'll continue the discussion on on associations uh, going to the one where you used to uh, head. So you're listening to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm Mark Amtower. I'm here today with Larry Allen. You can find Larry on LinkedIn. A-L-L-E-N, or you can find them at Allen Federal, A-L-L-E-N Federal.com. Um, Larry, 
Uh, I referenced at, at the end of the last segment that uh, um, you headed one of the, the associations, the one particularly that deals with GSA and primarily but not exclusively GSA schedules, the Coalition for Government Procurement. Right. The coalition, Mark, has been around since 1979, believe it or not. And it was formed as an association of primarily small businesses. Now it has businesses of all sizes. But you're right. The genesis of the coalition was to ensure that contractors doing business with GSA had a voice and that they got fair treatment when doing business with GSA. Today, that's not so much of a problem, at least not relative to the past uh, when the coalition was founded. But nevertheless, if you're a government contractor and you want to understand the GSA schedules program, if you want to know what's going on with a program like the GSA Alliant or Oasis Professional Services Vehicles, from an association standpoint, the Coalition for Government Procurement is where you want to be. Uh, the coalition, Mark, like lots of other associations, I think delivers very good value for the money, even though I'm no longer the president. It, it's a great place to find people to do the networking we're talking about. It's a great place to have somebody do some advocacy for you if you and other companies aren't getting a fair deal or not getting the deal that you think you should be getting. It's, they're a great source of information, and they're a great source of education on what's happening. Uh, the Coalition's Fall Conference is coming up here uh, in just next week, as a matter of fact. So uh, we will uh, – then they're going to be covering all kinds of things that are going on, particularly – uh, in the VA and GSA marketplaces, so uh, something that's always worth attending if you're a company that's in that space. Yeah, it it is. <clears throat> you invited me to speak there at a couple of your conferences, and I could tell you, – you can tell when you go to some venues, even as a speaker, not really a legitimate participant, if you will, uh, that there's a homogeneity to the group, that there's a camaraderie to the group. And I, I there's only two places that, that stick out that way to me. When I spoke, I, I actually keynoted the soup conference when it was still happening uh, several years back. And for, for those contractors, it was like old home week. It was like a family right. reunion. Uh, but I had a, nearly the same feeling when I spoke at your events when you, you were president there. Um, <clears throat> so, again – those are great educational opportunities as well as great networking opportunities. And you have to leverage both parts of that equation. You do. You have to be able to participate in this market. And participating at its base level certainly means sales and business relationship development. But it goes beyond that. If you're not a familiar face at <clears throat> whether it's a coalition event or an AFCA event or an ACT-IAC event or whatever – you're at a disadvantage, uh, and there are people in government who have come up to me over the years and asked about where people from certain companies were. They were conspicuous by their absence, Mark, for not being at venues where government people were expecting to see them. And, of course, that was great for me because it gave me a leverage point to sell them a seat at a, the, my next event or membership when I ran the association. But the point is that your competitors are at these events, and just as much as the government uh, sales process is process-driven, it is also very much relationship-driven. People like doing business with companies that they're familiar with. That's particularly important, Mark. If you don't have the brand name ID 
that a Fortune 500 company doing business in this market has. You've got to have your own ID as the person who is at the events, who is participating in the, on the panels, is helping draft the white papers, things of that nature, so that you're establishing yourself. And that's really one way to set yourself apart. It, it really is. So <clears throat> finding the right association, and it can be an industry-focused group. So at NASA Goddard, there's a contractor's association exclusively for NASA Goddard. This is not a unique scenario. So for small businesses, your ability to understand that focusing on a single agency and finding those groups that that offer that kind of education and networking environment is absolutely critical. Well, that's right. And you, you pick where you need to be. Now, no one can be everywhere at once. So if you know that you've got a solution that fits well with NASA, particularly if you know what NASA Goddard is buying, to use your example, then you want to be in that organization. If you're doing business through uh, a GSA or VA contract, then you, know, you should maybe look at the coalition. If you're selling IT, ACT-IAC is a good place to be. So, But you can't be everywhere at once, whether it's an association or whether it is uh, trying to pick who your priorities are as federal customers, Mark, you need to understand that you can't be everywhere at once. And this is really a common problem that I find. It's not exclusive to small businesses, but the number of people who fall victim to this are certainly well represented among the legion of small business entrepreneurs in the market, and that is the tendency to look at the wealth of government contract opportunities and trying to say yes to all of them. And you see something in a free source where the CIO for agriculture said, I want to buy widgets. Well, I've got widgets. I'm going to go run over to agriculture. Well, the two days later, somebody from the TSA says, well, I want to buy micro widgets. Well, I got a micro widget, so I'm going to run over to TSA. Well, you're running around going from place to place, and you're not going to be able to focus. You're not going to be able to penetrate uh, and it's going to be a, a recipe for frustration. Right. <clears throat> and and especially for the companies selling uh, uh, products. When you were at the coalition, uh, I was, uh, during that same time frame, I was advising a lot of B2B catalog companies on market entry in the federal market. And the primary point of entry wasn't contract. It was micro-purchase. Right. And and that that was huge for a lot of these companies. A lot of them migrated to contracts after they became somewhat more used to the market, more sophisticated in the market. But that micro purchase and that the activity on the micro purchase or the well, yeah, the smart pay card charge card is is still extraordinary. Well, extraordinary market. I think ironically, you know, we've talked before. If you stick around in the government market. Something that was hot in this faded way is going to get hot again. And so, too, is most likely going to be the case with micro-purchases with the advent of uh, technology companies like Amazon that are already doing pilot projects with selected government agencies, GSA's commercial e-commerce portal project that they are putting in place with the idea of awarding one or more contracts to commercial e-portal providers and all of those transactions, or not all, but a lot of those transactions, Mark, are going to be based on the micro-purchase level. Ironically, when you were talking about doing that for catalog companies, 
micro purchase level is two thousand five hundred dollars. Now it's ten, so it's grown substantially, and uh, there's a lot that you can do with a purchase card. There's going to be a lot you can do today with uh, e-commerce portals, and there's going to be a lot more to do with e-commerce portals. Uh, in the two or three years coming down the road. Right, but on, on the e-commerce side, the the legislation that I see coming down the pike is going to be pretty much exclusive to the Amazon, if you will, of the world uh, and not be small business friendly at all. Well, I think if you're a small business, this is certainly a challenge. And we've been talking about small business opportunities, which is always good stuff to talk about. But the reality is, whether it's e-commerce or other issues, small businesses entering the federal market do have challenges. And certainly in the e-commerce arena, your challenge is going to be how do you or can you serve as a supplier through uh, an Amazon or an Overstock or uh, Granger or Staples or one of the companies that is uh, possibly going to obtain one of these e-commerce contracts. And it's a challenge that isn't necessarily unique to the government market, but nevertheless, a lot of small businesses would find it daunting because of the business terms and conditions that these platforms have you sign up for. Yeah, well, witness what happened to the office supplies schedule and the furniture schedule um, on GSA where – uh, the the FSSI kicked in, and uh, about 70% of the companies all of a sudden were left behind, and half of those have since closed. Right, and I think uh, even as GSA tries to resuscitate its 75 office supply schedule and attract more small businesses, uh, that uh, the advent of e-commerce portals that GSA, another part of GSA, is pushing – really, I think, directly jeopardizes the continued sustainability of that office supply schedule. So uh, if you're a a small business that's looking at those types of issues, you've got to think long and hard about what your point of entry is going to be and where you can actually make a profit. Right. And, and, you know, let's let's, – actually, we're going to take a break here and come back and talk about how small companies can find – the right bidding opportunities and what's their chance on GWAX and stuff. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Larry and I will be back right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm here with Larry Allen. As I said before, you can find Larry on LinkedIn or at allenfederal.com, Allen, A-L-L-E-N, federal.com. Um, so, Larry, finding the right bidding opportunities for smalls, you know, unfortunately, several smalls think the Ostaboo is going to aim them at bidding opportunities, and that's just not going to happen. That's not their job. So where do you send them first? Well, I think that one of the the foundational places that you have to start with is FedBizOps. And look, people say FedBizOps is, once you see it there, that opportunity is already wired. Well, some are, some aren't. Uh, but the reality is that uh, each one of those FedBizOp opportunities, Mark, has the name of somebody who's buying what you're selling. And if they're not going to buy it from you today, maybe they'll buy it from you the next time they're buying it. The federal government buys lots of stuff, 
And it would be good to be able to go in and establish a relationship with that person and the people that they, in turn, work with inside the agency. There's going to be a team. Uh, so FedBizOps is the place that you want to go to first. Uh, it's free. Uh, there are all kinds of organizations that will set up bid lists for you if you plug in your NAICS codes and keywords and things of that nature. Uh, you can also do some checking for opportunities on subscription-based services. Uh, Dell Tech is very popular, particularly in the IT and professional services marketplaces. Bloomberg government has an opportunity site that they are uh, enhancing every day. Uh, those are subscription services that you might want to take a look at. Uh, the key with those is to make sure that you are in on that project as early as possible. And whether it's FedBizOps or one of the subscription services, Mark, a lot of times agencies will post draft RFQs or they'll announce industry days. Go to the industry day, submit comments on the draft RFQ. That's a way that you're indicating your interest and that you're on top of things and that you're tracking what's happening with that particular project so that you are in the mix. You do have a credible uh, way to participate in that opportunity, whether you decide you're going to bid on it direct or if it could be somebody that you team with that you met with at an industry day conference for that procurement. Yeah. And er <clears throat> everything we've been talking about ultimately comes back to developing those relationships. So it's important for smalls, Larry, uh, you and I have discussed this numerous times, to really focus on one or two agencies that specifically can use what that small contractor does. That's right. And this really is important because, as I talked about in one of the previous segments, Mark, government business is at least as much relationship-driven as it is process-driven. Particularly if you're a small business, you need to be known. You, the company, and you, the person or people that are working on government accounts, need to be known. And the best way to be known is to show up a lot in, a, in events and places that focus on one or two agencies. Now, to get to those one or two agencies, you need to focus and do your market research to make sure that they're actually buying stuff that you're selling, Uh but once you've done that research work, you should be all over. Let's say you choose DHS and commerce. Well, you should then be all over those agencies for any events or conferences, uh, anything that's going on in a, a pre-bid conference in your area, anything that is going on with an association activity for those two agencies. That's what you need to focus on you will be able to develop the relationships. You will be the familiar face. You will be the person or people that other contractors see. And once you're, you establish that reputation, it becomes much easier to do business. Yeah, and I mean, there's, there's a variety of ways to, to uh, get on the radar of key players. So just a quick example uh, yesterday in WashTech, I read about an interior contract that was awarded two large spots, one small. Uh, I already had connections at the large contractors, 
and they aren't likely to use my services in the immediate near term anyway, but the small, maybe. So I went on LinkedIn, found the CEO of the small, sent him a congratulations note and suggested that we might want to connect, waiting to hear back. But I, I think there's a real good shot that that he will. Um, you know, I, I do have, you know, some minor name recognition in the market. Um, <laughs> well, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to keep it realistic, mm. you know, um, n- no, nobody is, is. This is going back. Nobody's Tom Hewitt anymore. <laughs> you know? uh, and if you don't know, if you don't understand that, you don't understand that. So, never mind. Um, but, but you know, you can get on the radar of primes, uh, partners, agency personnel this way. If you see their name in the news, get on LinkedIn, send them an email because they're more likely to read the email than they are your email, and just say, "Hey, saw your name." Congratulations on whatever it is. And, hey, if you have five minutes sometime, please, can we have a short chat? And you're exactly right. And just to take that from the uh, situational to the real, if you will, I had an exchange exactly like that just this past week where somebody that I had reached out to and sent a congratulatory email to, um, they had won an award. They won a Fed 100 award. And I said, hey, you know, great, congratulations. And uh, the guy was very pleased. He, you know, got right back to me and said, thank you. And, you know, I understand what you want and not right now but later. And so I uh, emailed him uh, just uh, another week or so ago. Uh, This was several months later. And son of a gun, the guy got right back to me. And because he remembers that I wasn't just there to say, let me sell you something or I've got somebody who can sell you something I'm here to be part of this market. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm part of a couple of groups. Uh, I'm part of this market. Like you, I have some degree of name recognition in in this arena. Uh, And that's the type of thing that helps him sort out the dozens of email requests he gets every day for a meeting or for information that can lead to business and Having that little extra is what get, makes the difference between getting your email returned. Right. So I want to migrate uh, quickly and briefly to uh, uh, GWAX and IDIQs. You've been an advisor to uh, Joanne Wojtek over at Subcontract for a while. Uh, they have a very good record in helping their smalls win business through the vehicle. Uh, so, we, you know, Soup, Oasis, Alliant. Uh, CIO SP3, SP3 small, CIO CS, on a VETS and, and the uh, 8A STARS program, uh, just to name a, a few. few. <laughs> um, but not all of these have uh, perpetual on-ramps. Some of them don't have on-ramps after the bidding period, period. Um, Joanne's not going to open up soup until soup six. That's right. Um, so – how 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 do you suggest you know everybody hears about these things right and you you have go back to the widget scenario you got a widget you know it will sell through this vehicle um, what's your tack my tack mark is if you are a newer business just coming into this marketplace I actually am going to go counter to type and say don't go out and become a prime contractor don't obtain a GSA schedule contract right away is your first order of business. It's far better for you to partner with companies that have those contracts, whether it's a NASA soup, 
whether it's one of the uh, Alliant or 8A Stars, GWAC contracts. Uh, those are established vehicles with companies that, even if they're small too, are probably a little bit more established than yours. And that's a good way to earn while you learn is to be a partner for some of those. You've got to obviously bring something to the table. You've got to bring something special. What's that something special? Well, it's going to be a key relationship in a government agency, or it's going to be some unique way of coming at a solution that uh, really wows whoever it is you're sitting in front of. And it it really does have to stand out, Uh, keeping in mind that those of us who've been in government contracting for a while can be a jaded group. (laughs) So you want to make sure that you're really standing out uh, when you're having that conversation. But when you're more established, after you've got some uh, wins under your belt, then that's the time when I think it's good to have uh, an IDIQ contract, whether it's going to be an 8A set-aside or schedule or whatever it is. It really is highly dependent, Mark, on what it is you're trying to sell. If you're a furniture company, for example, then the schedule is it for you in terms of standing indefinite delivery, indefinite quantity vehicles. If you're in professional services or IT, well, there are a few more to choose from. Uh, And I think that if you're in the IT market and you've established at least a beachhead, you owe it to yourself to get one or more IDIQ vehicles because 50% of federal IT spend goes through one of those established indefinite delivery, indefinite quantity vehicles. So if you're not a prime on them, You need to be a partner. You need to be a sub. And as soon as you've got some uh, past performance that you can show, then's the time to go and see if you can prime those. Yeah, and plan that prime long in advance because, again, you know, if it's an on-ramp, it won't be on forever. Uh, So you have a finite time. And the the prep time for these is pretty real. Well, keep in mind, too, that it takes two different skill sets to obtain and sell through an IDIQ contract. There's the skill set that's required to respond to the RFP to get on the contract to begin with. And if you've not done that before, I really recommend outside help. Oh, yeah. And then once you've gotten that contract, what you've really gotten is a hunting license, and it takes a different skill set to be a good hunter. Yes, Uh, both. We're going to take a break. We're taking our last break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'll be back with Larry to wrap up right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm here with Larry Allen. Uh, once again, allenfederal.com, A L L E N, federal.com. Um, so, Larry, let's talk, you know, when, when uh, small businesses go to the local SBA office or the PTAC, or uh, you know wherever, oftentimes they're said they're told, yeah, "Here's a list of the primes. Go get a sub spot." Um, <laughs> <laughs> and and the primes love this, right? <laughs> right, right. Because they have fifty companies that don't know what they do, knocking on their door saying, "We want to be a partner on what?" Uh, well, one of your contracts. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Which one? So you know, and and I, I've said this numerous times. A prime sub-relationship falls, from my perspective, in the spousal abuse syndrome. Uh, some are more egregious than others, but you rarely meet a prime, or a sub, rather, who's ecstatic with a relationship they have with a prime. Well, that's right. The deal with being a 
subcontractor is first you do have to differentiate yourself and you better have some idea about what that prime uh, is doing that you think you can help with. And again, the, the, the gold standard here is you have a relationship in a certain place that that prime that matters to that prime and that prime does not have a relationship there. That does happen. Don't assume that large primes are everywhere. They're not. They have their focus areas, too. That's one of the things that makes them successful. If you can show that you have a relationship or you've got some knowledge about something coming down the pike, uh, that's a good differentiator, and that's going to make any meeting you get with a prime uh, all that much more productive. The other part of it is, you know, all right, uh, I'm a prime contractor. I have six indefinite delivery, indefinite quantity contracts. They overlap in scope a little bit differently. But some of them may be price-based, some of them may be cost-based. If I'm a small business, Mark, I want to make very sure that I understand which is which and what's required of me as a sub. It's going to be, hint, hint, a little easier to do business as a subcontractor on a price-based contract than it is on a cost-based contract just because of the different rules that are involved. So you want to know what the scope is uh, for those contracts. You want to know uh, what they cover you want to know what type of contract they are. Uh, relationships are key with your prime contractor and making sure that uh, you have these, particularly as a new market entry, can be important. But there's always a but. You never want to turn over 100% of your government business relationships to another company. No, no, it, it, it it's silly. But, you know, just getting on the radar of a prime to get that first meeting, you're usually going through an SBLO office, small business liaison office at the prime. Uh, and just like with your Ozdabu meeting, you've got to have everything you do queued up perfectly, know the program, know where you fit in the program, assume with research behind you that there may be a void in that technical or product area. And and then, uh, look, but again, even before that, uh, I would get on their radar via social. I would look for the PM of that uh, vehicle at the Prime. I would be on the radar of the SBLO at the Prime uh, and, and just start, you know, uh, being visible that way. Just looking at their profile in an open mode on LinkedIn can get you on their radar. That they can, and these are things that you and I both talk to small businesses about. Uh, I'm sure that you do what I do, Mark, which is there's no way I'm going to promise a small business meetings with five different primes. Uh, what I will do is provide them with insights and coaching on what it is that is going to make any meeting they get with the prime potentially meaningful. And... That's one way that people like you and I maintain the relationships we have with primes <laughs> because we don't bring them unqualified, unfocused small business uh, partners. Yeah. And, you know, those are the types of things that uh, you need to do. I've been talking with a couple of small businesses recently to hone their their discussion. What is it that you want? And it's not so easy because – uh, the typical small business is very enthusiastic about the laundry list of solutions they have. And who wouldn't be? It's good to be enthusiastic about what your company does. It was like focus in on the one or two things that 
are really going to enable you to be an asset to that prime. Right. Uh, are you an endpoint security company? Okay, good. That's something that's different. Uh, do you have past performance in specific parts of the Navy? Hey, that's better. And and geographical relationships can help too. So if you're, you know, uh, Pax River or uh, or certain parts of Connecticut with the Coast Guard, for example, or the Navy, um, you know, those those things can play a big role. You know, one thing that, that blew a uh, small contractor out of any future meetings with a prime, um, this and, and this came from a VP at a, a VP of business development at a, a top five contractor. And he told me uh, probably on air, uh, albeit several years back. Um, that, you know, this small company came in and proudly announced to him, he said, you need us because we have seven cleared people. <laughs> and the guy looked across the desk at him and said, we have 11,000. <laughs> Oops. Right. So, right. you know, don't lead with what you think is a strength. Lead with what they will believe is a strength. Well, and that really gets into one of the things we haven't talked about today, and that's the importance of listening. Whether you're in front of a prime, whether you're in front of a government agency, the one thing that you and I hear a lot about, Mark, is that people want to come in and they want to give you your their spiel regardless of how pertinent it is to what it is you're doing as a prime or a government agency. One, it's one of the biggest gripes of somebody in a government agency is that the contractor comes in and immediately starts talking about what they have to offer and does not take the time to ask the question, what's on your mind? What's your challenge as an agency? What is it that you're trying to get accomplished in this area between now and the end of the fiscal year? Those are the things that are really great conversation starters and relationship builders. Yeah, and and knowing the contractual vehicles the agency prefers – Right. Um, knowing the programs where what you bring to the table uh, can be supportive. You know, these are things you need to know ahead of time. These are not questions you should be asking when you're there. No, that's exactly true. And it's okay to not know the answer to those questions when you're first starting out. The key is you do need to get the answers to those questions if you're going to move forward. Yeah. And and you had a point that we discussed offline about over-reliance on – uh, teammates are prime. So. Well, to quote Fleetwood Mac, Mark, players only love you when they're playing. I'm not going to channel my inner Stevie Nicks for your listeners today. Thank uh, you. <laughs> <laughs> but the fact is that uh, prime contractors and teammates of yours, they're not just selling whatever it is you're, you have to sell. They're selling what they have to sell. They have certain ways that they're compensated. They have certain benchmarks that they need to hit internally. And uh, if you're not part of their priority list, you're not going to be getting a lot of trend, uh, a lot of traction uh, in the market. So while it's important to have partners, while it's important if you're a new market entry to be looking at subprime relationships, you never want to stop trying to call on government agencies directly. You never want to uh, put your government business totally in the hands of a, of a partner. You have to maintain that core capability. You have to maintain at least some degree of an internal sales and marketing force that is targeted on federal agencies. Uh, 
you know, with very, very, very few exceptions, like if you're literally selling Ticonderoga number two pencils, uh, which may absolve you from having the Ticonderoga Pencil Company from having to have an internal sales force for the federal government. Uh, but if you're not them, you need to have your own capability that can create the opportunities, uh, get some direct business in for you, or develop those relationships that's going to make you that much more attractive to a team member. Yep. Uh, it's going to be a great way to wrap up. Larry, thank you for coming in, sir. Mark, I appreciate the opportunity and I uh, look forward to talking again soon. Again, you can find Larry at allenfederal.com, A-L-L-E-N, federal.com. You can find him on LinkedIn. I suggest you do so. This has been show number two of Big Issues for Small Contractors. This is not my day job. I do advise small contractors on several facets uh, facets of marketing to the government. So if if you're interested uh, in, in getting on the radar, uh, give me a shout. Drop me a line at mark at federaldirect.net. And thank you very much for listening to Amtower Off Center. You've been listening to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Tune in Mondays at noon or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.